So we're going to continue in a series that we started called Avoiding Colossal Mistakes. And we've been working through a book in the Bible called Colossians. And if you're not familiar with the Bible and the Bible's new to you, it's in the New Testament. A guy named Paul wrote this book. He had this uh, young church that he didn't plant. It actually was planted by someone else, but it was someone related to Paul, connected his ministry, connected his leadership. And from afar, as he's in jail, he's starting to be concerned about this new church. And he's seeing some of the things that are happening that are exciting. They're exciting things, but he's also very concerned that the church is about to make some big mistakes. And these colossal mistakes, he wants them to avoid. He wants them to avoid those because he believes with all of his heart. I know Paul, how his, his wiring is. He just wants to see this church know Jesus and to know him in all of his fullness. And so that's what this book is really centered on. And so we took a a break last week and just had a moment of talking about, you know, adoption and foster care, connected it to the theme. But I was really enjoyed actually listening to the two pastors that taught while I was gone. And I loved Pastor John's heart and how he shared about where's your head. I don't know if you got that message, but if you didn't, go back and listen to it. Great message. And it precedes the text that we're going to look at today. And even John told me, he said, man, he goes, sometimes when we break up scripture, it's disappointing. You know, that's why we give you a reading plan. Because he's like, I so wanted to go into the next chapter where you're going to go today because they're connected. And so he talked about this idea of where our head is. And where our head is actually determines many times where our reality is. And this is, this is an extension of that in chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, you could open it up to Colossians 3. And that's where we're going to camp in a little bit. But before we get there, let me kind of paint a picture of why this passage is going to have such value in your life and in mine. Paul is really concerned when he's talking about, as Pastor John put it, where's your head, which is really where's your heart. And we're going to look at where's your head, where's your heart, where's your focus, and what's the real mystical makeup of a person, how these things come together in our emotional life, our physical life, and our spiritual lives. And a lot of times what we like to do is we like to compartmentalize those areas, don't we? Here's my spiritual life, here's my physical life, here's my emotional life. But the reality is, is when you look at this passage, you're going to begin to find what Paul is saying is is that all those are connected together in this idea of your heart or your head and how the will of our life comes together. And a lot of times we don't realize this because we're on autopilot. Anybody, anybody kind of relate to that on autopilot? I was thinking about, um, I was driving home recently. I don't know if you do this. And I'm driving home and I get on the phone. Not, not this way, you know, with the hands, hand-free stuff. Okay, so don't get on me about that. So I'm driving home and I'm, I'm supposed to be going somewhere and I don't get home. Anybody done that? Because I'm on autopilot. And I'm used to when I'm headed in this direction to take uh, Brittany usually to school. And so I actually went all the way to her school before I figured out that I was in the wrong place before I turned around and came home. Because I was completely in autopilot. Have, have you been there? And it's interesting. Sometimes, you know, we can make excuses. And I'll say something like, well, maybe God just wanted me here. No, it was, I was an idiot and I was on autopilot. It was the reality. And when I started researching this, I'm like, I think other people are like me. We operate sometimes on autopilot. We never stop to think, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what I'm supposed to be watching? Is this what I'm supposed to be thinking about? Is this what I'm supposed to be eating? We just don't think. And I was looking it up, and in modern psychology, they say that 96% of us now operate the majority of the time on autopilot based on certain habits and rituals and just things that are in our lives. We make decisions about what we eat, what we'll watch on TV, what we're going to wear, what we're going to hear, what our uh, actual rhythm to our life is going to be, what work is going to be like, all based on autopilot. And so I looked it up. There's five things that you can test for to see if you're one of those people that maybe you're struggling with this idea uh, that you're on autopilot. Listen to these and see how they kind of hit where you are. The first one is your routine is predictable. 
Your routine is predictable. In other words, when you look at your life from week to week, I mean, you could just write it. It's like liturgy. Here's this, then this, then this, then this, and it's just the same thing every week. You really have difficulty with the idea of pleasing other people. In fact, what happens is other people are more in control of the rhythm of your life than you are. And because they're more in control of it, there's this rhythm, and the rhythm is actually an autopilot because of your desire to please other people. You're always on. This one's definitely for our culture today. You're always on. You're always engaged. You're always plugged in. And this idea of always on is that you never stop to even reflect on what's going on, and you feel all the time like you're distracted and never quite able to focus in on something. You're always kind of out there, scatterbrained, okay? Time flies is another one. You say, oh, man, where did the time go? It just escaped from me. And when it was gone, you're like, where did it go? And it's because you were living on autopilot like I am many times. And you believe that there's something in life that just seems to be missing. You're missing out on something. There's something about the rhythm of your life, and you know it and you sense it, but, but you can't quite put your finger on it. You seem like there's more joy that's to be had, but I just can't quite figure out how to get there. And these are common traits among people today that are on autopilot. And when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, when we live on autopilot, we become spiritually malnourished. We become malnourished. There's, there's no variety to our life. There's no, my wife loves this because I'm the kind of person, I don't know if you're like this, I can eat the same things every day. It makes life simple, doesn't it? This is the autopilot mode. I could eat pizza every night. Anybody with me? Okay. I could have, yeah, I could have eggs, bacon, or scrapple. You can substitute those two meats every morning and I'd be happy, right? And I could eat the same sandwich every day, every day, and I'd be happy. I don't have to think about it. In fact, I wear, somebody, if you've noticed this yet, but I usually wear black shirts and jeans. Why? Because I don't like to think about what I'm going to wear and I can't match clothes well. So this makes it easy for me. My wife's like, why do you have like seven black shirts? I'm like, because I just, this one's this day and then this one's this day and this one's this day. I'm that person. I I struggle because I don't want to have to give thought to that. It stresses me out. And with that, sometimes then comes the monotony of life and we just get into it and we don't realize what's going on. Recently, um, someone in our family, I won't point him out, I won't embarrass him, has that same problem as well. In fact, they're even more into rhythm than I am, and they eat the same things every day, every day. And I figured I would try to break it up, and I actually offered them $100 to eat a pickle. $100. They turned me down because their rhythm was so important, more so than a pickle. And boy, they took some razzing about it, which is why I'm not going to razz them in church. That would be worse. But we lack this variety and I think a lot of us are missing out on spiritual nourishment. And I think it's, this is at the heart of what the apostles are about to talk about in chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, look at this with me. We're going to start in 1. We're going to cover last week's passage that we were going to do and this week's. And so look at this with me. Here's the word of the Lord. Paul says, Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, sorry. Verse three, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. To put to death, put to death therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways and the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices 
and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there, is the, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Oof. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and all and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. It's a really cool section of scripture, isn't it? And when you look at this, you see that he's saying there are these habits that have come into your life before you were a believer, and now you're a believer, and now you're going to have to take these things off to actually experience the fullness of God, the full nourishment, the beauty of all that God wants for you. And so the first thing I would kind of propose that would help us in this is to understand that our focus shapes our reality. And this is kind of what Pastor John was hitting at last week when he said, where's your head? Our focus shapes our reality. Since then, you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts. Look at that. Set your hearts. That's your focus. That's part of how you focus. And he also says to set your minds. So he's saying with your being, with your very focus, with all of who you are, set those things not on things here, but on things now that have moved heavenward, now that you have this new relationship with Jesus. The heart and the mind are both based on this idea of focus. I love that. Now, in the original text, there's something that's very interesting. When you read this in the original language, the word heart does not appear. In fact, it's very difficult for translators to translate this passage. Listen to it in two different translations. Same verse. Listen to this. This is out of the New Century Version. Since you were raised from the dead with Christ, aim at what is in heaven, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think only about things in heaven, not things on earth. Listen to it out of the new living. Since you've been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's hand. So the translators, when they were translating this, they were trying to help you and me understand what this meant to this original church. They put the word heart in there. And the reason they added this word is not to add to scripture, it was to add to our understanding because we many times get confused about what's the mind, what's the heart, how are we to actually understand these things. And it's confusing for us because a lot of times our language is so different. For instance, when we think of heart, we immediately think of emotion, don't we? We think of love, and he connects those two. But our idea of love is very different than biblical love. In fact, think of a common phrase that we use today. If you love someone, you'll say, I love them with all my but it can't be love, can it? Because you can't use the word twice. That would be idiotic. I love you with all my love. They'd be like, you're weird. Okay, get away, right? I can't love you with all my love. And I'm not saying I love you with all my mind either. There's something about this idea of heart and mind when they're put together to talk about the will of a person, what drives them, what motivates them, because those things determine their focus and how it's oriented. When you think of your heart, think of it from this perspective. What motivates you? What are you passionate about? And what shapes your will? As you begin to answer those questions, you'll begin to see a reflection of your heart. And the heart is the will seat of your life. It's the thing that moves you forward. The focus of your mind, your heart put together, that shapes your reality. It shapes how you view this world. It shapes how the world comes into you as well. When I was thinking about this, of course, being a geek, I had to go to Star Wars, right? Anybody with me? 
Amen, right? And I was thinking about Return of the Jedi. That's one of the real movies. If you watch the other ones, those first three, throw those out. The second three that came first, those are the good ones. Okay, Return of the Jedi was technically the third movie, which is actually the sixth movie. You guys are good. See, so Star Wars fans are with me. Okay. And there's this moment where Luke has to encounter his dad. It's a very intense moment, right? And when they're actually having this encounter, he says, your mind dwells on the thoughts of your... Oh, there it was. Okay, there was a Star Wars fan in the room. Okay, good. Your sister. What's interesting to me about this is it reveals something not only about our culture, but our understanding of heart. His mind dwells there. Was it his, just his thinking? There was something deeper, right? There was something about he had just learned that he had a sister and he didn't know that. And that began to motivate him. It began to drive the focus of his energy. And in this case, Darth was saying, hey, I'm going to use that against you, whatever. Okay, that's a different problem. But, but I think it reveals something about us. The other thing that blows me away about this passage is in verse 3. It says, for you what? You died, past tense. Not you're dying, not you're killing it. You died, and your life now is hidden with Christ. Your life is hidden. And so there's this reality that there's this change in a person that changes their focus, that changes their energy. So there is this initial part that hides you in Christ. Which is why baptism is so important. People ask me all the time, why is baptism so important? Why do people make a big deal of it? Because for us, it's the place where the mind and the heart and the will come together in a moment. Think about it. You hear from someone who's teaching scripture that you should believe and be baptized. Now you know it. It's in your head. But now you have to bring that down into the will seat of your life to say, will I obey it? Will I let myself move toward it? Will I actually then respond by faith that God is going to do something in that moment that I don't understand that I might have to actually overcome my, my fears? So your mind and your heart and the very will of who you are now begins to move forward. And this is what Paul's talking about because this is when life gets exciting. It's when it's not as dull. It's when your diet starts to look pretty amazing because God starts showing up and asking you for all kinds of crazy things. And you're like, wow, did God really say that? And God really will ask you for some stuff that is like all in. And it's an amazing moment. The second thing that you begin to see as you walk through this passage is our practices, those habits, nourish or starve a nature, our nature, (coughs) one nature or the other. There's an old Roman idiom that said there were two dogs, you know, and you ever heard that one? And which dog will grow? And it was, one was the evil dog, one was a good dog. You know this idiom, right? And it says, whichever dog you feed is the one that grows, right? This is true also inside the life of us. So not only have you been hidden with Christ, not only has he put to death your old nature when you become a believer, but then there's this other part that's a mystery to us in the faith. Because in verse 5, he says, put to death. How can I put to death something that's already dead? It's an interesting thing. And I love these tensions in scripture because they make you and I think, like, what is he saying? And what he's saying is this, is from his perspective in heaven, he's put to death that old man that was in you, that old woman that was in you that was corrupting and, and was just bringing all kinds of junk into your life. But that's from a heavenly perspective. From an earthly perspective, you're still working it out. And you're still sometimes drawn to the things that you used to be drawn to. And he gives us this command in verse 5, put to death. Look at it in verse 7, he says, or 8, he says, rid yourselves. He doesn't say he will rid it in you. He doesn't say that he'll kill it in you. He puts the onus on us. And that's interesting to me because now the action to actually continue to move forward has to do with me and what I'll do. And I can't do it. Have you been there? I can't do it. But what I can do 
is look at the sources by which that I'm feeding my soul. And as I learn to feed my soul in the right way, those things begin to come alive. And what happens is, is we go back to old habits, old ways of thinking, and that's where this stuff starts to come in. One of the issues he brings up here is the idea of sexual immorality. Paul has a lot to say about this. Do you know what the original word is? It's an interesting word. I don't usually quote a lot of Greek words because you're like, whatever, right? But this one's pretty good because you'll recognize the root. The original root here is the word pornea. And the root of this word is where we get the word pornography. And what he's actually talking about is this idea that Satan wants to have us feed our nature with other things. The things that God has said are good and noble and awesome, like marriage. And the intimate relationship in marriage, he goes, I want to distort that and move you away from that in sexual immorality. And that's the original word that's used here. And I started looking up some stats because I was just curious. I don't know if you know these, 35% of all internet downloads are pornographic now, 35%. 34% of internet users have experienced an unwanted exposure at some point to some type of pornography. One third of all pornography viewers now are women. That one blows me away because when I was growing up, that just wasn't the way it was. But as uh, so I talked to younger uh, people, they were like, yeah, that's, I think that's right. That's true. It rewires the brain in ways that really mess with us, and it begins to feed a nature that moves us away from God and causes us to be now nourished. According to the National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families, in 2010, 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography was an issue in their home. Half. Half of all American families. This is a reality. It increases marital infidelity by 300%. 300%. 68% of divorces can say this is a contributing factor to the divorce. That's interesting. Two-thirds of people now watch this or are exposed to pornography in some way on their cell phone. So when I was growing up, and probably you were growing up, and some people say, you're an old fart, I am getting older, I'm 48, to let you know the context of where I am. The only way this was accessible to us was usually your brother's bedroom somehow tucked under the mattress, Right? And now, look, yeah, that's what it was, okay, at least for my brother. I'm not throwing him under the bus, but that's the way it was. And now you pick up your phone. You pick up an iPad, a computer, and it's right there. It's right in our face. I was talking to Jake, and Jake's very connected and wired in. I'm not throwing you under the bus, Jake. He's very connected and wired in with youth and kind of what youth are going through. And he said it's not uncommon for youth to have conversations today about where the best websites are. And where the best places are to go to hang out in this realm, it's considered more and more and more normal. And those normal habits begin to shape us, and we become spiritually starved, especially in this area. And so what do you do? If you try to fight it, you'll find it's a very frustrating war, right? You have to change the focus. You have to start feeding your soul with the right material, some of the things you can do, and I'm going to send some of these to you because I believe this is a big issue in our church, and I think it's a big issue in the church. I'm going to send you some filters and some things you can put on your web. You can actually do some things to combat this, and some of them are very inexpensive and some even free, like open DNS. There's also, I think a lot of us don't even understand this. How many of you, not that this is a commercial, but how many of you are a Comcast or Xfinity user? I'm just curious, okay? Survey says, okay. Did you know that it's free actually on the modem that you can click it off? There's an actual built-in DNS filter on your modem, but a lot of people don't know it. And literally, then you actually block every single thing in your house from exposure to that. So I'm going to send you out how to do that. Another thing you can do if this is something that's a recurring habit and it's just got a hole and a stranglehold in your life is you can go to Celebrate Recovery, right? 
Because in Celebrate Recovery, you learn about the tools and steps to change your focus. That's what CR does. It doesn't fix people. It changes their focus by changing their habits. As you change those habits, it begins to bring health into your life. The other thing I was thinking about for us, I think we've been long overdue for some men's prayer breakfasts to begin to talk about these particular topics, especially among men. I know the women's retreat's coming up, and there's going to be topics about this topic also, and I think this is something we need to do. So if you're interested in being hanging out at the men's prayer breakfast and beginning to talk and deal with some of these purity issues, let me know on your Connect card, because I need to know how many men really want to deal with this and talk about this, because I'll be there, and I want to do this. Another area I think that really hits where we are in our culture is greed. I think greed's another thing that we feed pretty easily, don't we? This is one of those areas that gets nourished when it shouldn't get nourished. The um, national department of higher, uh, national debt right now is higher than it's ever been. This blows me away when I begin to think about this other area of nourishment. Look at this graphic. This is our national debt and how it's grown over this course of time. That blows me away. But more so than our actually the the debt that we have as Americans, I think, is the struggle as we have as personal Americans. Look at this graphic. I think this one's interesting, too. This one's actually based on a demographic. So, you know, if you're a baby boomer, your average debt's 16.2. You know, if you're my generation, that's Generation X, you've got about $30,000 in debt. It's interesting that we have the largest debt, by the way, because we were the ones told that we could still live the American dream. And then uh, our millennials actually have less debt as an average but we also know that their largest unsecured debt is student loans. And so this debt is one of those areas, and the reason that we're there is because, again, we're feeding it with the wrong focus. We're thinking about the wrong things. We're bringing the wrong things into our minds and into our thinking. One of the things that we do is we think that we have to leverage debt to actually get ahead, don't we? And you don't. One of the things I love that we recently started doing is that Jake started an FPU course. He's done two or three, two, two FPU courses. And it's been interesting to see people's thinking begin to change, right? Because the thing that you confront, what's that? Financial Peace University, or FAPU. Thank you, John. So really good, a small group course that was happening on Sunday nights. Let me give you just some things that are positive happen as people change their thinking. Let me tell you what happens. So they started to change their thinking about finance, and they're thinking about debt. One couple went from $500 of extra debt a month to actually paying off $2,000 a month. That's real. These are real people like you that live right here in this area. One person got a second job and began to pay down their debt. Um, when the last card, Jake said they cut up 30 credit cards. 30 credit cards were cut up to actually begin to eradicate debt. One family that I talked to personally, again, I don't want to have their name, but I think their stories are so profound, that paid off all of their credit card debt, had zero credit card debt by the end, and now is working to pay off their cars and has almost paid off their cars, leaving only their home as their only source of debt. And so they're no longer bound to debt. They've started to feed their mind and their will is beginning to act along with their mind and heart. And they're now seeing nourishment in their life in the area of finance. And so these are real issues. And the apostle brings up a few of those. But I think most of the issues that you and I face are belief issues. We've learned to believe certain things. And God wants us to change our belief system because it will change how we work. The third thing is I think in this area is we excuse, excuses block God's transformation in our lives. It's easy to come up with an excuse, right? Whether it's in the area of sexual purity, right? Or in the area of finance especially. Well, the Joneses live this way, right? I, I noticed one time when we lived in California, and Sue and I were just brand new, we were newlyweds. 
I noticed there was this one couple, they were about the same age, they were also in the military, they lived just a little bit down from us. I noticed every time that we would save up and buy something, they would buy the same thing. Has anybody ever seen that? It took me forever. Of course, one of the first things, I talk about bad priorities, okay, but one of the first things I bought was a stereo, okay, music, okay? I remember that. We saved up for this really nice stereo. We still got it, right? It was that good, okay? We still have that stereo. It's that good. And uh, that's a long time ago. But I know as soon as we bought a stereo, guess what they did? They bought a stereo. Every time we bought something, there was this competitive back and forth nature. We look at people and we compare our lives to them. We say, I need what the Joneses have. I need what they've got. Don't I deserve fill in the blank? And then what we do when we do that is we, we use that as an excuse and it begins to block God's transformation in our lives. And I love this line where he says, do not lie to each other. That's just harsh, ain't it? Paul's in your face. He's in your grill. And what he's saying is to you and to me, he's saying, stop lying to yourself and stop lying to other people about these things. He's saying, get real. I love the list that he has here when he says, not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. I had to look up a Scythian. By the way, they have T-shirts about these people. They were so um, (laughs) over the top, killing everybody. Pretty wild people. Slave or free. But what's interesting about this is he's saying you can't use any of this as an excuse. The most barbaric person among you cannot use it as an excuse not to allow God's transformation to begin to change their focus and their energy and their will to move forward. And I love when he gets to 12 and he says, look at what this happens when you really understand you're God's chosen people. When you start to feed the right one, when you start to feed your soul the way God designed it to be fed, look at what happens. Dearly loved, clothe yourself and look what happens in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And you've met people like this, right? that they've been walking with God and they've been feeding the right part of their soul. Their focus has been in the right place. And you're like, man, I love what God's doing in their life. And they'll tell you it's not magic. It's a long life of doing the right things all the time and keeping their focus and their energy on what God says and not excusing the behavior that they've struggled with so much. Here's some of the ways that, when I look at our culture, one of the ways that we really struggle is what we feed ourselves with, right? Think about some of the things that are out there. We're going to be doing a series in the fall, and my deacons are like, oh my gosh, your titles scare us sometimes. Well, they're meant to, okay? They're meant to connect to people. The series is called Game of Thrones, okay? That's the series we're going to be in the fall, and it's about who's on your throne is what it's about. By the way, I've never seen the series. I looked the reviews up, and I'm like, I can't imagine watching this series, okay? I can't imagine anybody in the feminine movement even promoting this series based on some of the things that are in it. And when I look at something like that, one of the things that blows me away is how many people say, I'm a Christian, and you let, they let that junk into their eyes, and they let that junk into their heart, and they let that junk into their home. And it affects not only them, but their kids and their families. And we look at those things, and we say, well, is it really that bad? Well, let me give you an example I gave to students when I was a student pastor that helped them really get an idea of this. We made brownies for them one day, and we brought them all in. We cut them up, and we served them up, and we said, hey, you're pretty good brownies, aren't they? Yeah, they're good brownies. So I want you to know, when we were making them, we had a little accident, and a cat turd, a little teeny piece of cat turd fell into the batch. It's only a little cat turd. It's only in the batch. We don't know which one it went into. It's okay. You want some more brownies? How many students you think want more brownies? None. And that's the way it is when we think about some of this stuff. It's only a little this. But it begins to come into our lives, and it begins to pollute our spirits and our souls. And this area, I think it's huge. And I think we need to start thinking about what we let in. 
Because how we nourish our souls affects our lives in a big way. I was talking to a person recently on Facebook that's working through a real difficult season in their life, and they're considering the word divorce, and they're trying to work through this thing. And what they said was, I, I, I think God's okay with it. I think I've come to a place that God's given me peace about this. Where'd you get that from? What was the source? What was your focus? What was, who's the author of that truth? My wife and I began reading a recent book. Love it. I've been in this kick of reading books that are out of print. I don't know why lately, but I find them. I found this one that's actually written way back. It was recommended by a guy named uh, Chuck Colson. Some of you know who that is. Some of you never heard of him. But anyway, he said, best book ever written on marriage. I'm like, can't put that out there without me reading it. So my wife and I got and started reading it. The very first chapter, he talks about this couple that's going through a nasty relationship and thinking about divorce. And there's this guy and he's got lots of issues and he's even gone so far as infidelity. And he goes to the elders of his church and the, the elders of the church say, I don't think it's recoverable. I'm like, what kind of church is that? But okay. He goes to a Christian marital counselor, and they give him really bad advice. And at no point is anybody talking about Scripture. What are you feeding yourself with? What's God's concept of marriage that begins in Genesis? How is that lived out through the Bible that comes into the New Testament? No one's giving biblical, good, focused counsel that says, here's the nourishment you need for your soul that's going to bring you through this. It was all worldly stuff that sounded wise, and even sounded spiritual. And that's why this phrase is so key. Don't lie to each other. You and I, if you call yourself a believer, if we call ourselves Christians, we ought to look at one another at times and go, you know, that's just bunk. That's just junk. And you and I need to rid ourselves of that. And I think that's what's at the heart of this passage. In the area of poverty, I think this is a big issue. I think all of us have ideas of what poverty is. And where does it come from? And we put people in boxes. And we have ideas of what that's supposed to look like and what those people are like. You ever heard that phrase? And all that stuff needs to be destroyed. Have you ever looked at what God's concept of poverty is? What God has to say about the poor? How God says that the church has been built to minister specifically to issues of the poor today. After the meeting, we're going to have a, an interest meeting for people who want to know more about how to engage with poverty. Because I think there's things that we can do, and um, there's organizations here here in our area that can help us to do this. But we have to change our thinking. We've got to change our focus. So here's my question for you this week. Would you do this for me? Would you do this for your own life and, your, and just for your own health? Would you increase your focus by identifying what area of your life, your life needs nourishment? You'll know where it is. You'll know where you're parched. You're going to know where you're, you're struggling. And then would you share it with a friend and see God's love grow in our world and your world specifically. What I mean by that, let me break these down. You're going to know the area that's the struggle. You're going to know the area that you're like, stuff, I've been leaning into this stuff, and I know I don't know God's wisdom in this, and I need God's wisdom. You're going to know what it is. But you've got to share that with somebody. Somebody you trust. Somebody that you can actually, you know, is not going to go around and tell your business. And, and, and you need that kind of person. If you don't have that per- kind of person, find them. Because when you tell them, They're the ones that can look at you eyeball to eyeball and say, that's not true. And you and I need that kind of confrontation in our life because we lie to each other and we lie to ourselves. And if you begin to nourish yourself in the right way, you're going to see God's love grow. The biggest thing you can do is start to read God's word. I can't tell you how many times I tell people this simple thing. People walk into your office and say, I'm struggling, Pastor. And I can almost ask the same question on every single thing they ask. I'll ask them, how is your devotion life? How is your prayer life? And usually that's one of the two areas that's gone awry and someone else has been filling our heads with other junk. And that's 
part of the issue. Until we confront that and start understanding what God has to say about something, we're going to continue to struggle, I think, with spiritual malnourishment. So this week, would you do that? Would you look at what area of your life has been kind of moved out of the way and it's kind of lost its focus? And you begin to say, God, I want what you have for me in that area. I want your wisdom. And seek out someone you can begin to share and confide with. Because when you start sharing real hurts, real struggles, and you say, this is the area I've been believing lies in my life, and I'm not sure how to go forward, but I want to confess that. And I want to work to see what God has to say about it. You're about to go through a cool ride because God's going to do something awesome in your life. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. God, for each and every person here, it's so easy for us to find ourselves feeding ourselves with the wrong stuff. God, whether it's through media, TV, the internet, what we listen to, God, we can feed ourselves in such ways that it begins to starve our soul. And we don't even know it. It's so gradual, God. It's based on habits that we've built sometimes for years. And we need to confess that to somebody. We need you to first to confront it. God, and if we have a friend that we're watching them do something that's just stupid, because we all do it, God. If we're there, would you bring that friend into our lives and say, this is wrong? And would you allow us to have the guts to tell our friend when something's wrong? Not to condemn them, God, but out of love, because we want to see their life nourished and whole and full. And Lord, when we do that, allow good wisdom to be given, scriptural wisdom, not wisdom of this world, not wisdom that just sounds good and palatable, but wisdom that comes from your word. God, allow us to become students of your word because that's the only way we can give that kind of wisdom is if we're in your Bible every day asking for your wisdom to penetrate our heart and to change our focus. Thanks for how you're going to do this in my life and how you're going to do this in the life of each and every person sitting here. And we give you all the glory because you deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen.